0: It so happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected with her late husband's family. His name was Boaz.
1: One day Ruth, the Moabite foreigner, said to Naomi, I'm going to work, I'm going to glean among the sheaves, following after some harvesters who will treat me kindly. Naomi said, go ahead, dear daughter. And so she set out. She went and started gleaning in a field, following in the wake of the harvesters. Eventually, she ended up in a part of the field owned by Boaz, her father-in-law's relative.
0: A little later, Boaz came out from Bethlehem greeting his harvesters. God be with you. They and replied. God bless you. <laughs> Boaz asked his young servant, who was a foreman over the farmhands, who is this young woman? Where did she come from?
2: And the foreman said, why, that's the Moabite girl, the one who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She asked permission. Let me glean, she said, and gather among the sheaves following after your harvesters. She's been at it steady ever since, from early morning until now, without so much as a break.
0: Then Boaz spoke to Ruth. Listen, my daughter. From now on, don't go to any other field to glean. Stay right here in this one. And stay close to my young women. Watch where they are harvesting and follow them. And don't worry about a thing. I've given orders to my servants not to harass you. When you get thirsty, feel free to go and drink from the water buckets that the servants have filled.
1: She dropped to her knees, then bowed her face to the ground. How does this happen that you should pick me out and treat me so kindly, me, a foreigner?
0: Boaz answered her, I've heard all about you. Heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of her husband, and how you left your father and mother and the land of your birth, and have come to live among a bunch of total strangers. May God reward you well for what you've done, and for coming to seek protection under his wings.
1: Oh, sir, such grace, such kindness. I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart, treated me like one of your own, and I don't even belong here.
0: At the lunch break, Boaz said to her, Come over here, eat some bread, dip it in the wine.
1: So she joined the harvesters. Boaz passed the roasted grain to her. She ate her fill and even had some left over. When she got up to go back to work, Boaz ordered his servants.
0: Let her glean where there's still plenty of grain on the ground. Make it easy for her. Better yet, pull some of the good stuff out and leave it for her to glean. Give her special treatment.
1: Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. When she threshed out what she had gathered, she ended up with nearly a full sack of barley. She gathered up her gleanings, went back to town, and showed her mother-in-law
2: the results of her day's work. She also gave her the leftovers from her lunch. Naomi asked her, So, where did you glean today? Whose field? God bless whoever it was who took such good care of you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, The man with whom I gleaned today, his name is Boaz. Why, God bless that man. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. That man, Ruth, is one of our own circle of covenant redeemers, a close relative of ours.
1: Well, listen to this. He also told me,
2: stick with my workers until my harvesting is finished. That's wonderful, dear daughter. Do that. You'll be safe in the company of his young women, no danger now of being harmed in some stranger's field. So Ruth did it. She stuck close to Boaz's young women,
1: gleaning in the fields until both the barley and wheat harvesting were finished and she continued living with her mother-in-law.
3: Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful story of Ruth. May we find ourselves in that story in powerful ways, Father. Holy Spirit, we pray, speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. Every day, it seems we see or we read about all sorts of people who are drowned or burned or earthquaked out of their homes and lives. People's suffering gets just projected onto our screens, our phones all the time sobbing children, grieving parents, bloodied soldiers and civilians. We see it in our own homes, among our own friends, right? We witness all sorts of wrong and evil crashes, tumors that take lives, strokes that debilitate, family strife that tears apart brother and sister, mother and father. All those things tell us, if we didn't know already, that we are such vulnerable creatures. So how do we respond as people of faith to that? I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but I've noticed how we can be very wary about mentioning God in the presence of other people's suffering. I think it's because we don't want to hand out pious cliches for other people's sorrows. And so we're, we're very slow to even mention God to fellow sufferers. But it does make me wonder, can we do no better than silence about God's role in unexpected sufferings? I don't think so, because God's word speaks to us in our sorrows as well, and we should not rob people of that power, of that comfort. And the book of Ruth is one of those powerful pieces of scripture where God speaks a powerful word to people who are often confused about where God is when life turns difficult. Now, to experience the full impact of the book of Ruth, we really need to read it in its bigger biblical context. The Bible, you know, is not just sort of haphazardly tossed together. It is all the books of the Bible are together telling this single, continuing, coherent story of God's faithful love for the world. And so the book just before Ruth is the book called Judges. And Judges narrates the really ugly history of a notoriously disordered age, a time when God's people rebelled and repeatedly rejected and disobeyed God. And there's this repeated phrase in the last few chapters of the book of Judges, and it forms the very last line, sort of this exclamation point on the book of Judges. And it says this, everyone did as they saw fit. Who cares what God thinks? Everyone did whatever they wanted. It was a time where everyone was out for themselves. Everyone did whatever they felt was right and proper, ignoring what God had to say. And they would live it out often at the expense of the weak, all people on the margins. It was a lawless, it was chaotic. It was a brutal time in the judges. And against all the ugliness and the injustice of judges, you're left wondering, is, is this really what life is about? How should we live then? What is the life that leads to goodness and flourishing? And then enter the story of Ruth. And in the larger story of Scripture, this simple story of Ruth answers the book of Judges, and it portrays for us a life of goodness, of how a life of flourishing for all people is lived out. It's the story of very ordinary people who, who lives, their lives embody in their daily affairs the self-giving love that fulfills God's law. Or in the words that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans, he says the obedience that comes from faith. So this story is about Naomi, a woman Naomi, and her transformation from emptiness, from bitterness, from despair to fullness and joy. And it is this exquisitely crafted story. And it's told in four chapters, four sections. In chapter one, we're introduced to Naomi. She's a widow. She's lost her husband. She's lost both her sons. I mean, she is devastated. She's bitter, bereft, hopeless, empty. And then at the very end of the book, In chapter 4, we find a very different Naomi. She's renewed and filled. She's sustained. She's called blessed. And the closing image of Naomi is with a child in her lap. And a little bit of the artistry in the book of Ruth. 71 Hebrew words for those first few verses to tell of her bitterness. 71 Hebrew words at the very end to tell of her joy and her goodness and her blessing. And the question at the heart of the book of Ruth is, now what has happened to bring about that sort of radical reversal, that redemption, that transformation in the life of Naomi? And it's in chapters 2 and 3 where we see the agents of that redemption, that transformation, the people through whom this complete transformation happens. And it's the simple widow Ruth and the plain farmer Boaz, very ordinary people that God uses as agents of his salvation. So for the Advent season, as we look towards Christmas, we're walking through the book of Ruth. Now, if you weren't here last week, let me give you a quick, previously in the book of Ruth, moment. Chapter one, which we looked at last week, it is what Lemony Snicket might call a series of unfortunate events. A widowed Israelite woman named Naomi has lost both her sons. She's devastated. She's alone in the world. However, her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth, a foreigner, a Moabite, commits to living life with Naomi and travels back to Naomi's hometown. And now back in Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth They are about as vulnerable a pair as you can imagine in the ancient Near East. In Israel, God repeatedly urged special protections for a group of three people, for the most vulnerable classes of people, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners, the aliens. Because anyone who found themselves in one of those categories just fell through all the social cracks. Well, Naomi is a widow with no sons. And Ruth is both a widow and an alien, a foreigner from Moab. And she might be an orphan as well because she didn't go back to her family. She had no family to go back to. They are facing an absolute dead-end life. Socially marginalized, economically marginalized. Together, they are grimly vulnerable. And as you know, in those days, there was no welfare. There were no social services. They had no food banks. A woman in a male-dominated society couldn't just run off and get a job at Tim Hortons or the grocery store. The only thing Naomi and Ruth could do is rely on the social safety net God put into place, which was the Gleaner Law. Now, in a book called Leviticus, earlier in the Bible, God commands his people to take care of the widows, the orphans, the aliens, by commanding them not to harvest everything in their field. It's an agricultural society and so Leviticus 23 says this when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest you shall leave them for the poor and the alien and then a little bit later on in Deuteronomy God expands this and he says when you're harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf so if you've collected you know your sheaves of grain uh, and you sort of missed one as you've gathered it up don't go back to get it Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. So God's reminding the Israelites that the reason they're not to completely strip their fields bare, vacuum everything up, is to show care for the marginalized and the poor. Now a quick sidebar here. Doesn't this make you wonder, what would this look like in our economy of capitalism? Capitalism. That was an agrarian society, that's how they provided the means and dignity for the poor and the marginalized. I'm wondering, what would that look like for us? If you work in finance and business, economics or government, we have a variety of people who do that. What would it look like for a market economy like ours to leave the edges of industry and market affairs for the poor, for the alien? That's your homework this week okay go figure that out for the rest of us we would appreciate that goodness but in israel in this agricultural society this was a way for the poor to remain alive and have the dignity of work both of those were important to this and so ruth sets out to glean the fields but something else is going on here in verse 3 in the translation of the niv which wasn't read this morning but in, in the niv translation it says As it turned out, as it turned out, this is the narrator's way of saying, listen up people because something else is going on here. As it turns out, Naomi and Ruth happened to come back at the time of the barley harvest. And as it turns out, Ruth just happens to go to this field owned by exactly the right person in the wider family of Elimelech. And guess what? He's a righteous dude. He's a very good, kind person. And as it turns out, Boaz happens to notice Ruth. And it just so happens that he has been told the story of how Ruth has chosen to commit herself to Naomi and serve her and come back with her. All of those happenings occur under the watchful eye of a God who cares and is going to see that this story turns out well. Ruth, the book of Ruth, is telling us about God's provision for our lives. God's providence, as some doctrines would put it. His provision, which one teaching of the church says that is his almighty power by which God upholds, as if with a fatherly hand, heaven and earth and all creatures. And it's telling us beneath and behind all the regular humdrum of daily choices and activity is this generous hand of God, guiding, guarding, providing, protecting. Even when life feels dark, even when everything looks hopeless, Ruth is saying, we can catch a glimpse of grace. Remember, Naomi has not been forgotten. She has not abandoned This is a book for people who look around their life and struggle to see any answers to prayer. People who just don't see any dramatic events of any sort. They see nothing but mundane living or hard times. And the book of Ruth is trying to communicate to us in the mundane, in the hard times, God is still at work. He's still there. He's still working in countless ways for His glory and your good, even though you can't see it. We must learn to see the signs of hope that He's working all underneath the surface. Which is why Jesus, who had this profound trust in His good Heavenly Father, which is why Jesus repeatedly would say, do not fear, do not worry. Because the fatherly hand of our very good God is at work in this world, in your life. Naomi, she had given up on that, hadn't she? She had resigned herself to a life of bitterness and emptiness. And yet, even in all her troubles, God was guiding and directing towards goodness. You and I, we can trust God's provision even when we can't figure this out even when when it seems like God's care has gone off duty now and then we can trust we can we can be patient when it feels like life is running up against us we can be thankful when things go well recognizing you know what it's not my smarts or my industry it's the providing hand of God and for the future we don't need to fear we can have good confidence because of our faithful God and Father So do not fear. Which is why Christians regularly, when faced with tragedies and troubles in the world, boldly step in where others might step back or they sign up where others might check out because we know that in spite of all the trouble that we so often see, there is a greater force of good at work in the world. Now Boaz, he's an agent of that goodness. He's allowed Ruth to glean, but notice he doesn't just merely allow Ruth to glean the fields. He goes even further. He says, stay with my girls, Ruth, for in someone else's field you might be harmed, and I've ordered my men not to touch you. And then later on, Naomi says, good thing, stay with his servant girls, because in someone else's field you're going to be harmed. Sort of a chilling set of comments, right? Ruth is in trouble in some way. Having come back with Naomi, Ruth is not just a widow. She's not just a foreigner. It's worse than that. Remember, this is the time of judges, right? Ugly, lawless time. There was enormous racial hostility between Moab and Israel. And if a Moabite woman would come back with Naomi, she knows, Boaz knows, every single day there is going to be a great likelihood she's going to be object of not just taunts, but violence. And so, Boaz provides Ruth with his protection. He provides hospitality, food, drink, protection. Now, why is Boaz doing that? He's a man of noble character. We read, that's good. So he's fulfilling God's law, but God's law only stipulates, you know what? The gleanings, that's good. But then he goes beyond the limits of the law. He gives her drink. He offers her hospitality, protection. What's going on? I'm sure there's a number of reasons. Some people think, well, you know, he's trying to court Ruth, trying to win her over. But if you turn several pages in the Bible, a little bit further on, into the New Testament, if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, into the genealogy of Jesus, you discover who Boaz's mother is. In the genealogy of Jesus, we read this, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz, the father, was Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So Boaz's mother is Rahab the prostitute from Jericho. You might remember that story. In other words, Boaz's mother was a foreigner and a former prostitute. This is a woman again who is so socially vulnerable, meaning her son Boaz is fully aware of what it is like to live life at a disadvantage. He is fully aware of his roots, And where he came from, he probably heard taunts growing up from all around him. And he knows very well that had it not been for the providing hand of God, he would never be where he is today. And when Boaz looks at all that he has, he doesn't see it as something he's earned or something that he deserves. This this is a gift from the providing hand of God. And he knows how his mother has been brought into the community of faith. And so when he sees this outsider, this vulnerable Ruth, a foreigner who has given up everything to show love to an elderly woman, to this old broken down soul. And when he sees all the disadvantages that she is up against, he's gonna help her because he understands, he gets it. And so he protects and he provides. The beautiful thing about this story of Ruth is both in Ruth and Boaz, we see the sword of life that brings blessing and healing, the selfless love that brings wholeness and flourishing to others. But what's so striking about this whole story is that there's no miracles named. The entire story of Ruth, God never breaks into the narrative to speak or to act. God's name is mentioned, but he's he's sort of mentioned in terms of, yes, the Lord bless you or things like that, but just sort of in passing. But there are no holy visions, there's no burning bushes, there's just ordinary people here who are doing their best to care, to show the selfless love they have tasted. There's just one coincidence after another, right? And they're just ordinary things, just little things, the sort of things that if you looked at them you would never think, these are really significant things, you know? which tells us it's so easy for us to miss the very real work of God in our regular living. The book of Ruth is teaching us, don't make that mistake, because God was at work throughout the whole book of Ruth. And if all these little coincidences hadn't happened, if Ruth hadn't committed herself to Naomi, if Ruth hadn't gone to that specific field, if Boaz hadn't been someone who followed God's law Naomi and Ruth would be dead. But they weren't. And it's not a coincidence. It's God at work in the ordinary ways. And this is really important for us to know. This is why the book was written. That God works through all of our ordinary acts of faith and obedience so that we become his hands of blessing. When Biblical scholar, Karen Jobes is her name. Um, She talks about this. Karen Jobes was on her way to a a career in computer science and she became a Christian as part of that, her journey in life. And she talks about how she became obsessed with this idea of finding the will of God, trying to figure out what is God's will, always looking for signs and because she was afraid of missing God's will. Today, she's a biblical scholar in an endowed chair at a mater school and she was asked, how'd you get there? you started off in computer science. And she says, I'll tell you how I got there. There were about a hundred little ordinary incidences. And if that wouldn't happen, that wouldn't have happened. And if this hadn't happened, that wouldn't happen. And she says, at the moment, they all look perfectly ordinary. They were ordinary, she writes. But there's no way you could tell they were significant. But looking back, they were incredibly significant. Because if that person hadn't called, if that hadn't happened, she would never have become the professor at the university she is right now. Here's the interesting thing, we need to reflect deeply on. When God works in extraordinary ways, we know it, right? Boom, yes, that was God. But when he's working in ordinary ways, still actively at work, providing for our lives in in everyday ways, we often think he's not there, right? Right? we wonder, where is he? But he is. He is present. God's absence is never true. His silence is not absence. His hiddenness is not abandonment. He is working for your and my salvation. He's providing for your life. He's keeping his promises, even when it looks like he's nowhere around. And yet, here's another really important teaching from this book of Ruth, from this simple story. Alongside of the very real, but often quiet, and hidden ways, God provides for our lives, what we see is the, the lifting up, the value of human agency in God's plan and working out. We see the way God uses our everyday actions for His purposes Like nothing of the good that came to Naomi and Ruth would be happening if Ruth did not go out and glean. Ruth is the big actor in chapter two. She's initiating all the actors. It would not have happened if Boaz did not do the very simple thing of following God's law. Those little everyday acts of faithfulness make all the difference in the world in this story. And it's true in our lives. These little things These acts of faith and obedience we do, God uses to do great things. You know, there's no star-studded cast of characters in Ruth, is there? There's no outstanding historical figures. There's no great kings, no fiery prophets. It's just this simple story about two widows and a plain old farmer but whose lives are woven into the fabric of God's salvation through ordinary actions of common faithfulness. Don't we need to hear this? Too many of us think that there's no way that we could be part in a significant way of what God is doing in the world. I hear that again and again from people. I just got to tell you, wrong, (laughs) not true. Ruth tells us the good news that God invites all of us, regular people, into everyday obedience, and God's kingdom comes in beautiful ways through this, through those acts of faith and obedience. Through them, God provides, God welcomes, God heals, God blesses, God builds. And at the end of chapter 2, bitter Naomi erupts in joy and gratitude because she senses something has turned. Maybe she's got the eyes to see something of the hidden work of God. She realizes now God has not abandoned her. He's not gonna leave her in sorrow. He's faithful. He has been at work bringing blessing even out of bitterness and sorrow through the simple everyday actions of people. Now think about that. It's the everyday ordinariness of work, of daily work, of Ruth going out gleaning in the barley fields that is used as a means for accomplishing this salvation. Now think of your daily work. Your daily work matters. What you do during the week is a major instrument of God's providence in the world. It is how God sustains the human world. Our everyday acts offered in obedience to God are the means by which God continues to provide and sustain human flourishing in this world. Every diaper that gets changed for a little baby, every story that gets read to a toddler, the constructive feedback you as a supervisor offer to an employee, the skill you teach a student under your wings, the policy that you help draft That brings about goodness. The fair deal you're able to negotiate. The simple, effective computer code you write. The square wall you construct. The time you take to listen to someone who needs it. All of those done in faith are how God builds his kingdom. And in the background, God is using you and me to sustain and provide for this world which means there are no unimportant people here today, okay? There are no unimportant, insignificant followers of Jesus. God is working through all of us, and often through some of the smallest things we do. God's providence, it marches forward, even as it's doing here in this book of Ruth, through surprising people in surprising places. And the book of Ruth, you know, it's not just... A wonderful story that we read and then we say, okay, we got to be like Ruth. I mean, there's an exemplary quality to it too. But remember, Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. Ruth is one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of the Savior of the world. So what does that mean? Ruth is pointing us to the one who comes out of her, the one who is her descendant. When Ruth points us to that Savior, when Ruth looked at Naomi and Naomi said go back to your family and she said no 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 you know what if I keep my life Naomi loses hers so I'm going to give away my life for Naomi's sake if I will take on her poverty on myself I will take on her marginality on myself I will become poor so that through my poverty she might be blessed and become rich That's what happened. Ruth left her father's house. Ruth left her own country. She became an outsider. She became someone who suffered, someone who was rejected. Does that remind you of anyone? Do you see the one to whom Ruth points? Her great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, and what he did for you and I. Jesus left his father's throne. He emptied himself. He died for us. He left the ultimate riches to take on our ultimate poverty. And when you see that, and when, you, when that catches your heart, when it's no longer just an intellectual thing, but it's something that fills your heart, then you can start living like Ruth. Then you find the power to live and do what Ruth and Boaz have done. This is what Christmas is about. The incarnation Tells to us, God wants friendship with us. He's not just coming to us saying, obey me. He says, come back home to me. Come back into relationship with me. I am coming to you, giving myself for your sake, because I want your friendship. I want you to live in communion with me. Christmas and the story of Ruth shows us God's commitment to bring us back home to himself. Let's pray. God, you are the God of the smallest details. You are the God of perfect timing. You are the God who is at work in all things, seen and unseen. And our simple prayer today is, God, would you help us trust you more? Because God, when life turns hard, it is so challenging to trust that you are working good in our lives. When we don't understand things, when we are easily convinced you, uh, you've gone missing, you're off duty. But remind us again and again of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. You entered into the worst so that we might know that there is nothing that can separate us from your love in Jesus Christ. May that hope, that comfort, fill us with faith and live with such confidence this week. In the Savior's name we pray, amen.